We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The 2022 rookie class is rising. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. Find me on Twitter at Gersper Gretsch. Find my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work at Rotoviz. I mentioned on the last show that I have some catching up to do. I did a little bit of catching up between our last show and this show because I needed to to get some of the great research uh, at Rotoviz on the combine into my brain before we could talk about it a little bit. We had intended to do this on earlier this week on our first show this week. And next week we'll have a lot to talk about with free agency. You know, the legal tampering period will be coming out. We're very excited about those shows, but we do need to recap the combine, which we haven't had a chance yet to do because I needed to spend all of our last show talking about Russell Wilson. So Sean, this was a really exciting combine for the 2022 class. We got a ton of you know, speed in the 40 times. It's a little disappointing with the primetime event that we didn't get agility drills from the running backs. I know you mentioned that in one of your pieces. But we got some exciting stuff, certainly, and it changes our perception of some of these running backs, um, some of these receivers, maybe less so because we're not as concerned about the, the athletic profile, but you've done a great job over the last couple of years among people that already acknowledge that essentially athleticism isn't the most important element of, of the wide receiver prospect profile, that there's at least stuff that we can glean from that. And and I, that's something that I think is really useful and, and interesting to always read about. But first of all, I mean, how you doing? Good. And you mentioned the Tuesday show, it was a lot of fun. I'm glad we had a chance to kind of go back and forth on that and hear each other's viewpoints and maybe me calm down a little bit about my excitement. Hopefully you raise uh, out of the grief situation there with the Seahawks at least a little bit. But yeah, that, oh, that, no, was... that hasn't changed. Okay, so that hasn't changed, but it was still a very fun show. We had a, we had a great debate there. But yeah, then the combine, the combine is always extremely exciting. But when you're trying to do some of this perpetual reloading in Dynasty that we talk about that was sort of a foundation element of our Dynasty process that we talked about on our Evergreen shows last year. And then we have a Rotoviz Triflex Dynasty League team where we executed that in a real startup. 
So we now have a ton of picks for 2022. And potentially one of the reasons we were able to get some of those picks were the people were looking forward to this class and saying, well, this is a weaker class. And that's been the narrative all along. But you want to trade out of this class and into 2023. There are going to still be some very savvy dynasty owners who are doing that. And yet this combine was fantastic for us, right? We have a lot of players run fast. We have two of the three running backs who really needed to run fast to solidify themselves as maybe not even the elite prospects of some of the guys that we've seen in the past, but players who could justifiably go early in the reality draft, who could then also go early in fantasy drafts. We know that there are plenty of dynasty managers who are looking at those first couple of picks and saying, I, you know, I need an anchor running back for my dynasty team. That helps a ton of wide receivers ran fast. I think it solidifies this top group of wide receivers as again, you know, not having a Jamar chase, but being good. And then also what it did was create a ton of enthusiasm for the depth guys. And so now this element of if you've been stockpiling seconds, if you've been stockpiling thirds, you're going to have a lot of fun now because there are so many cool names in this class. Yeah, it seems like a much deeper class now, even than just a couple of weeks ago. There were a couple that didn't pan out, but I think the running backs at the top that you're talking about are Brees Hall and, and Kenneth Walker. And, and that was one I definitely wanted to ask you about and start there. Cause when we talked about the top three backs a couple of weeks ago or a week ago, or I don't know when we talked about how Brees Hall is pretty clearly sort of in, not necessarily in a tier of his own, but the, the top back from uh, a lot of the metrics that we is going to look at the production metrics, the ability to have added, you know, some solid receiving, which isn't necessarily necessary, but it is, uh, you know, great to see that, that he has that in his bag. And then he comes out and he tests incredibly well. And you kind of, in one of your pieces, you know, you, you kind of made a little hat tip. You said, I, I believe you said, you can start to whisper this generational word, which was, you know, obviously a funny, a funny joke that the, the massively overused term generational prospect, but Brees Hall is this really strong producer. He's young. He's come, he's come out young. He's big enough. And he's now shown that he can run a sub four, four. Right. And so that makes him a really exciting guy. And then Kenneth Walker was the one that didn't have the receiving side that we were looking at as maybe he's with the other two being Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller. Maybe he's not with him running this well. And with Isaiah Spiller, sort of the RB two, not even running in part, potentially because of an injury. Do those flip, I guess, is, is my big question. Because Walker, we did not really see the receiving. We don't have as long of a track record. He started his career at Wake Forest, didn't really perform much over the first two years. He transfers to Michigan State. And I think, as you noted last time we talked, was really, really good last year at Michigan State. Is still young, is still a early declare. And now he ran particularly fast at some decent enough size. Does not have the receiving track record. But we do know that there's a lot of college backs who get treated just as workhorses because they're running so effectively, essentially, they don't get used in the passing game as much. I feel like that's actually more prevalent maybe in, in some conferences or areas of the country. I don't know. It, it seems like a Big Ten thing is what I'm trying to get at. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor immediately comes to mind, and, and Kenneth Walker did play at Michigan State. Maybe that's not the right way to think about it but uh i you know do can we be at least a little bit optimistic about his potential as a receiver talk a little bit about holland and walker 
Well, these two guys are are so much fun, and the combine I think was just so massive for both of them because it answered really the main question that people wanted to know. Now, we look at these running back prospects. We know that the athletic times are more important for the running backs than they are for the wide receivers. We know that coming in under four or five has historically been a threshold that really did allow you to put players in buckets to where those guys who are faster translated to the NFL pretty well. Again, if they have that college production to back it up, the players who run slower have more difficulty. You have both of these guys coming in under 4-4, which it's just so thrilling to see them do that. Brees Hall, somebody who has this fantastic production, looked very good at Iowa State, and yet the whispers are always about, you know, is he – not just an NFL athlete. I mean, people felt like he would be a solid starter, but could he be a potential difference maker? So to have the 43940 at 217 pounds and add this 40-inch vertical, you're suddenly looking at a guy who has elite explosion and can translate some of those things, uh, not just in terms of being solid, but being kind of in that next category down below Jonathan Taylor. When I say next category down, you pull up the Rotoviz Combine Explorer tool built by Dave Cabin, and you can look at the 20 closest athletic comps. So one of the things that I really enjoy doing here is that when you look at players' athletic comps, one of the things you're reminded of is there's a big difference between the group of players who are athletic and similarly productive and athletic and not similarly productive. You see the one group, and there are great visuals for this in the tool, You know those guys go out and score NFL fantasy points. The other group does not, but... With Hall here, the cool name that really jumps out at you immediately is Adrian Peterson. And we know that Adrian Peterson was mildly overrated. And I just say very mildly as a fantasy back. He only scored over 20 points per game twice and only hit 22 in his legendary you know, 2,000 yard season. And yet, if you're talking about the best pure runners in NFL history, Adrian Peterson is either going to be at the top or very close to the top of that list. And so when he comes in as an almost identical physical comparison and you're talking about Brees Hall doing three consecutive 1,000 yard uh, seasons from scrimmage to back-to-back 1,700 yard seasons you know that's pretty exciting but then you get plenty of other names up there as well where you have Joseph Adai who was drafted you know because of his athleticism you know DeMarco Murray Ryan Matthews who you know probably would have had a better NFL career if he had stayed healthier Marshawn Lynch Cadillac Williams kind of the same thing there where uh, he was drafted very early in the reality draft you know, probably would have had a NFL, better NFL career if he stays healthier. So those are some very fun names to be in the group with. Again, especially when you are looking at that within the context of how good he was so young in college. So that's one of the reasons why I think we can start to slot him in potentially as a back that's kind of in between Taylor and the group of backs that went last year, which you know we liked in Najee Harris. Travis Etienne and Javante Williams. Now, I don't know that the NFL guys consider him to be that level. So that's one of the things we should also keep in mind. I'm probably more excited about his production athletic combo than NFL GMs are. Yeah, that's an exciting bump from what we were talking about. You know, just looking at him, I, I, I know one of the comps we talked about was like a David Montgomery who also went to, you know, Iowa State. You kind of get this, you know, they're from the same college element. But basically, this athletic testing now takes his profile from a David Montgomery type back to potentially a star, right? And not to say that Montgomery's maybe not a star, but like just to put that in, in people's minds, you're starting to talk about Adrian Peterson, maybe slightly below Adrian Peterson in terms of, I mean, because it's tough to, to expect. Yeah, you wouldn't expect anybody to be Adrian Peterson, but it's pretty cool. Yeah. 
And then the other element you talk about is his production. The other element that I love when I look at it and I'm always looking for is just like, how much was the guy used as a receiver? What did he do as a receiver? I mean, he had 82 college receptions while also being this massive rusher, this guy that, you know, you mentioned a thousand total yards, three straight years. The last two, he ran for over 1400 yards in, in 12 games in both seasons. And so you're talking well over a hundred yards rushing a game and over 20 rushing TDs both years. So the, the type of like workhorse rushing stats that you want to see from a guy who's, you know, you're hoping will come into the NFL and be this elite rusher. But at the same time, while doing that, is catching 20 plus passes in, in both seasons and 36 in his final season. And he had 23, even all the way back in his uh, freshman year where he wasn't quite as much of, of the workhorse runner, but to see that combo where he can handle 250 plus carries and, and rush for 20 touchdowns and all of these things. And then also, you know, average, whatever it is, 28 ish, 27 ish receptions per season in college. That's a good number for a college back. You don't see a lot of backs that catch, um, substantially more than that because the college game is just a little bit different. Exactly. So uh, you think of Adrian Peterson, it may be even, you know, a poor man's Adrian Peterson with some better uh, receiving ability. And, you know, suddenly you're in this category that is very, very exciting. And so we talked about some of the spots that he's going in best ball Immediately after the combine, he jumps multiple rounds. Again, one of those reasons why you want to get out there in those very early best ball drafts and get at least some exposure to the runners. And then you mentioned Kenneth Walker, and he is the other guy here who just was so impressive at the combine, right? 211 pounds, which, you know, that's kind of getting over that 210 threshold. A lot of people are going to like. He runs that 4.3840. And we had the privilege to have Matt Hicks on of his overtime this week one of the things that he talked about with walker is that that was in part a surprise because you don't even necessarily notice that as being an element of his profile this breakaway rush ability and so you add that in and it's even more exciting right this idea that if you run a 43840 there are going to be some opportunities at the nfl level to get to the second level and then break it and you and i talk all the time about how mostly these low value touches are going to be low value touches mostly you know things like yards per attempt are going to really bounce around but we do want to have exposure to players who once or twice a season could break a long run hopefully getting into the end zone that play from a back who has the speed can change that week for you in fantasy but then also those overall points are, are one of the things that will differentiate a back like that from someone who just simply doesn't have that upside and so I like that element of it too. And just anytime you have a back who can do those types of things, you're going to have your offensive coordinator really want to get you the ball. And we still need to find out what Isaiah Spiller is athletically, I guess. I mean, I think there's some optimism that if he can get healthy, we'll get some, you know, a solid pro day uh, set of numbers out of, out of him. But as it stands with Walker performing as well as he did at the combine, do you think you now would, would slot him in over Spiller at this point? I think you have to. I think he's now almost certain to go earlier in the reality draft unless Spiller comes back at his pro day and puts up some really big numbers. And there's a possibility that he goes first, right? I mean, there are a lot of decision makers who like Walker here. And his profile now puts him in that situation where I think he's going to end up almost undervalued 
in fantasy. You look at some of his comps and Ray Rice is the name that really jumps out at, you know, the difference and the thing that we don't have factored in for Walker, you mentioned those running backs opting out of the agility drills. And I know some people will look at the agility drills and say, well, they're not that important. They don't have this linear relationship with fantasy points. And my point is always that, yeah, but it's a great indicator of receiving ability. And for someone like a Walker, that's the question that you mentioned that we have, right? And Ray Rice is this very interesting comp because his pass catching ability that made him such a star at the NFL level created this back who scored over 300 fantasy points in his second season. That receiving ability almost exclusively emerged at the NFL level. But Rice is a guy who put up a 6.653 cone, which, you know, if you're keeping track, is the second best only to Christian McCaffrey. We know what McCaffrey can do in the receiving game. And so I would have liked to have seen these guys do the drill so we have a little bit of a sense. I mean, they're probably looking at this as, okay, these drills have more risk than they have reward for us. Because if you run slow, then people notice that. If you run fast, people are like, ah, oh, it doesn't really matter. And so I can understand why they didn't do it. But for us as analysts, it would have been fun to see those numbers. Yeah, certainly. Um, I have another sort of ranking question after the combine as well, which is, I mean, for several years, I've felt like in dynasty rookie drafts that I feel a lot more comfortable with the top receivers. Like last year, I, I definitely, let's just say in, in non-super flex and in, in, in single QB dynasty leagues, I definitely wanted Jamar Chase as the, the top overall player uh, before Najee Harris. And you can go back multiple years. I remember like Nikhil Harry year, which, you know, it didn't necessarily work out. One of the things that I've learned as a dynasty player over the years from people like you, uh, shout out to Curtis Patrick, who I've seen execute this very well in some of the leagues I'm in with him and, and definitely have heard him talk about it, is this idea that even when a rookie running back isn't necessarily great, they're more likely to produce early. They get used really quickly early, and, and it's just a volume-dependent position. I mean, like, Najee Harris is a great example. I don't particularly think he's good, but there's no question that his value is still very high. He's going first round and, and redraft this year. I don't necessarily think this guy's going to be a superstar that was worth a top three dynasty rookie pick five years from now, but you could sell out of that after you've already seen him play at a year, a, a year at the NFL level. It's harder to do that with receivers sometimes, not always, but it can be. I mean, especially like a, you know, a Nikhil Harry type outcome, which is pretty rough. There's obviously examples of running backs failing in year one and examples of like Jamar Chase of, of receivers just gaining immense value, even when they were um, already very highly valued. But I, I've been trying to be more receptive to this idea that running backs in rookie drafts, especially because a lot of my teams are built around receivers, which you know are the better long-term asset to have on your rosters. Running backs are worth targeting, even though I don't want to. You know, I, I just want to keep taking receivers in rookie drafts. But for the last several years, I've had a hard time, I guess, landing on running backs at the same level as the market, or you know, I, I always have the receivers a little higher than my league mates will relative to the running backs. This is a year where, especially with Traylon Burks, who we should talk about, looking like a really you know a, a great prospect, but at his size, still running fine, but not not blowing up things athletically. And then, obviously, Garrett Wilson is the other one that I think is right there with him. Ran extremely well, but not necessarily huge. There's not really like a clear Sterling top wide receiver prospect. 
And I look at Brees Hall, and I think I'm ready to do it from with the one on one. Am I insane? Because I, I, I mean, from dynasty perspective, especially from the valuation perspective, it seems very likely that a year from now he would still have plenty of value, and I could still move on from that if I, you know, didn't feel like he had a very productive first year. Yeah, I think that the combine moved those guys such that Hall goes to number one because you now have this potential. And again, I would just note that there's more disagreement on this than with some of the other top running backs, but there's this potential for Hall to really be a star. And I think if you're going to take a running back early, you have to have that. I mean, we had some drafts where guys like David Montgomery and Josh Jacobs were going near the top. And I just didn't think that that made any sense. You just didn't have the upside there with those players. Even if you think the rest of the draft is also kind of weak, right? You want to have these players who, are going to maintain that for you for a long time. And one of the things that we've seen actually with Jacobs and Montgomery, and again, I think that the analysts who took them up there at the top would say that, you know, Sean, you had the range of outcomes wrong, but those guys I think have been close to the top of their range of outcomes. And yet we've still seen people really sour on them, even though they're really doing exactly what people had hoped that they would do. The difference with these guys who could be legitimate stars is that people don't sour on Jonathan Taylor unless he gets hurt. People don't sour on Christian McCaffrey. I mean, we see him go 101, 102 after two years where he basically didn't play, right? People don't sour on an Adrian Peterson, even when he doesn't score as many fantasy points as you would want. People don't sour on LaDainian Tomlinson. So if you have a potential to have a back like that, then you can get both things out of it. Because one of the things that we do see is that running backs, they lose their value very quickly, but not after that rookie year especially if they play well. And so you have this chance to use them and get back out, especially if you need running backs and you've built this really deep and dominant wide receiver group, then this is a great opportunity. And it may be a great opportunity for people who have picks sort of in the middle if that top tier of wide receivers pushes Walker down, then he becomes an interesting guy there because you can get your running back. One of the things that we do see is that we have this big difference in perception from the top half of rookie drafts and the bottom half of rookie drafts. And I would say that that's a little bit misplaced. The very top running backs have come from the top, but there are so many good wide receivers who have come from that second group that you still work out fine because receivers are actually more valuable and that's where you get them. And so there is that element to it. But one of the things we would like to do with perpetual reloading is to have some exposure to picks on both sides. And so that maybe you can take your running back early and you can hit a couple of the wide receivers late and maybe even a couple of the wide receivers in the second round. So I think that element of it tactically this year is workout is set up to work very well in your favor, especially if you're in a league where these wide receivers maybe do push him down. If Hall goes, you know, into a bad situation, we talk about what actually happened in rookie drafts a couple of years ago where Clyde Edwards Alaire appears to go into this amazing situation with the chiefs and Jonathan Taylor hits on Marlon Mack and Hines and suddenly you see those guys flip, even though the talent gap is just so massive. You know, we could have something like that still happen with Hall, in which case, if he does get pushed down a little bit, it's even more exciting because you don't have to have the one-on-one. Yeah, that's, I mean, it also does, I mean, it throws in a little bit of risk there. I mean, it. it's, a, yeah, I, I, I the, the Taylor CEH example is a great one uh, in terms of why we should target talent, but like, if Hall did land in a situation where he doesn't necessarily have the guaranteed workload in the early years, it can potentially impact his valuation because essentially my part of my thought process on this is like the market is misidentifying opportunities at running back, which create fancy points as something longer lasting than they are. Right. I mean, the the best example of this is is Trent Richardson who ended up being a pretty 
you know, sort of this <laughs> um, poster boy for a, a running back bust, but Trent Richardson was actually good in his rookie year. Like I had him in, in redraft way. I wasn't playing dynasty way back then, but he wasn't efficient, but he got enough work. Like they gave him a ton of work right away. He caught passes. He scored touchdowns. He was not efficient as a runner or a receiver, but he went high in the year two in, in redraft leagues. And there was a second reality team that was even willing to work to take a chance on him. So you see both in reality and in fantasy that, you know, initial people with that asset able to get back out of it. Yeah. Just, just give them a ton of opportunity and people think they're good. (laughs) I mean, they're going to score touchdowns or they're going to catch enough passes. They're going to do something because a running back has so many different opportunities to produce. And even like the reason I like Richardson so much is like he wasn't actually efficient as a runner or a receiver because a lot of times you might get one or the other and then it's like, well, it's probably good because they gave him so much work. But or, or score touchdowns or, you know, one of these things winds up being like, oh, well, that's the thing we can point to and say this guy's probably pretty good. Yeah. And you mentioned these situations where if it goes it's sort of what happened with Javante Williams, and that is a nightmare in some ways because you do need those initial points to justify a lot what you're doing and to just, you know, to win your league at the same time, if that back goes there and plays well in the vast majority of situations right now, Javante Williams is going to be worth more than the one-on-one, right? So he's drafted in the middle of drafts last year. He plays purely in a committee, doesn't score that many points and you know, look where his value is. It's a, it's is a now, great so. point. That's a great point. Cause you still have the out of him looking good. And then people thinking, what can he be? which we are among those people. We think Javante Williams is going to be a star. Um, that's Yeah, it's a really great point. But yeah, no, I, I think to finish the Trent Richardson thought, I, it's like sort of been the bad comp for, for Najee Harris. But a lot of people ask me sort of why I'm so down on Najee Harris. And it's more or less just that like he didn't come out and be that good right away. And so, you know, we're going to, the market's going to tend to overcorrect just to the sheer volume that he got. There's, there's at least some risk that he's just not particularly good. And I don't want any risk because there's hardly enough risk with a running back is what it comes down to. There was a couple other sort of later running backs that are really interesting. We're talking about Rashad White tested well. Kyron Williams tested incredibly poorly. Now, people have talked about Kyron Williams being a good pass blocker. He has some solid receiving production, this and that. But like his athleticism looks almost disqualifying. And the only guy I can think of is like a Theo Riddick, which is, uh, again, I'm doing this college thing because Riddick also came out of Notre Dame, but um, of, of guys that like just look like they had absolutely no athleticism, but eventually wound up being somewhat usable at times in fantasy. Riddick was just largely because of his ability to rack up tons and tons of receptions and, and was getting an opportunity to play on a lot of passing downs. How is your opinion of Kyron Williams and Rashad White? A couple guys that I think moved different directions. How how has that shifted? Yeah, so the, White was exciting because he's been one of Travis May's big sleepers slash risers slash targets. And anytime that you have somebody you feel that excited about and they perform well, especially if the player you know doesn't have the cleanest production profile because of their journey and their path, and so you're relying on sort of this final year profile. And we know that there are red flags about that. We know there are risks about that in terms of underperforming your draft slot. And with White, the question already was, you know, where will he go in the draft? But you run as well as he did. You jump the 38 inches in the vertical 
And suddenly people are like, this guy is a clear NFL athlete. And then his numbers and the thing that really jumps out was the ability to create the big plays and the ability to do that within the passing game. So now you have this back where, again, not quite as big as a David Johnson, but someone who can be potentially a three down back or maybe a high value touch back who also excels as a receiver. And that just goes right back to the thing that we're most excited about and that you know you really make your number one thing the high value touches i mean white could be this guy who is both a high value touch focal point for whoever drafts him and someone who can create the big play yeah that's why i mean both of these guys to me prior to the combine from what i was hearing and seeing were interesting from that perspective White looks like he's continues to be a target in the later rounds. If you're drafting best ball right now, I mean, there's obviously uncertainty with where he lands and those types of things, but the potential for an early high value touch type role is exciting and, and his athleticism looks good. But Kyron Williams was another one that was interesting to look at statistically, but has sort of moved the other way. And he's somebody who, again, you just kind of wish that they had run the agility drills. He tested so poorly that you don't really expect that that's where it's going to pop. And yet one of the things for our receiver section that I wanted to mention for folks to give them a sense of context and, you know, a baseline for thinking about this is sort of where some of the top receivers tested in the past and kind of go through that in a minute. But one of the names who didn't test particularly well was Cooper cup, right? And Cooper cup <laughs> just, finished one of, if not the greatest wide receiver seasons of all time. And yet the area that he absolutely destroyed the combine was the agility and you watch him play. And again, it's something where you can see that very clearly in terms of how that translated to NFL level. I think it's unlikely that Williams would have posted some elite agility time, but at least he would have had a shot. And if you're going to put up these other really bad numbers, I think you just, you have to give yourself a chance. I mean, maybe he knows that he was going to test really poorly in that as well, but it is unfortunate because this is a guy who was very clearly one of the best receiving backs in all of college football. We love that profile. Even if you end up being more of a James White, purely third down kind of back, that's relevant in fantasy. The problem here is now, I mean, he's got a pretty tough path to even getting drafted at all. When you think in terms of number one, just how important athleticism is for NFL running backs. And then number two, the perception of how important it is among NFL decision makers where, you know, they only have so many picks. We tend to think about, okay, well, the day three guys don't actually produce at the NFL level anyway. And yet those NFL teams are looking at it as like, we only have so many picks. You know, we all have these deep guys that we love. The deep guys that you love in most cases are going to be people who flash a little bit more athletically. Hey, Rotoviz fans, this is Dave Cabin from the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Podcast, taking a minute to let you know that as a loyal Rotoviz listener, you can get 10% off a one year subscription when you use the promo code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. It gives you full access to all of our content and tools. And again, that's RVRADIO2022 at checkout for 10% off a one year Rotoviz subscription enjoy the podcast we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Sean, we got to get to the receivers. I mentioned Traylon Burks, who's sort of the the big body, as as well as Drake London, who didn't do most of the drills um, due to injury. And then we have sort of some smaller, faster receivers who ran incredibly well. Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, both from Ohio State, had great times in the 40, which you mentioned in your piece. You kind of need to see at their size – uh, for a guy like Burks, you don't necessarily need to see that type of speed. So he's not, you know, and Burks didn't run like a 4.7. He ran a 4.55, I think it was. And so that's that's sort of the top group of receiver. We think that, and we've talked about this, that Garrett Wilson sort of looks like the one that will probably go the highest in the draft, or that's sort of the expectation right now from a lot of mock drafts. He ran well enough, maybe doesn't have the size. How are you looking at Wilson and Burks? Uh, after their combine numbers came in. And then, I mean, we know they don't, they don't matter a ton at the receiver position, these combine numbers. But then also, how, how are you looking at Drake London, you know, not participating and, and where have you settled in with him? Yeah, London is, is tricky because we don't know he's rehabbing that ankle injury. And, you know, if we knew he was athletic, then I think that he has a, a real shot at the top spot. And that still may come through, before the draft, he still may go first. You mentioned that it's not that important, and there's you know, just so much research on the way in which athleticism can actually be very misleading at the wide receiver position. You think in terms of some of the top wide receivers currently in the NFL, Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, Keenan Allen, DeAndre Hopkins, all of those players run slower than four or five. Three of the four run a slower time than Traylon Burks, right? So when you're thinking about him within the context of this production that he's had and this immense size there at 225, the way they manufacture touches for him, his ability to run and, and move with the ball in his hands, none of those things are invalidated by his combine. Now, for a couple of the guys I mentioned, you know, Cup and the agility time, Devontae Adams had this elite vertical you know Burks doesn't pop in any of those areas but still somebody a very exciting player the downside is just that before the combine you could dream a little bit more of like a Julio Jones type of upside or profile you know we lose that with what he does there 
at the combine, but still in the mix to be the top guy. I think that one of the things that we will see, though, is that Brooks was always higher in the fantasy community than in the NFL draft community. Wilson, sort of the flip side of that. And with Wilson running well and getting in there under the 4-4, and again, big receivers and small receivers, so you know, approximately 205, 210, somewhere in there, you're looking at a, a big difference in terms of the profiles how that all works its way out, what you really want to see. And it was very encouraging for me that Wilson and Olave ran well. And it's not even guaranteed that Wilson will be the top guy, even though I think it's very strongly leaning that direction. Olave, a similar type of player, similar athletic comps when you pull them up. Uh, for both of them, Will Fuller is one of the guys who jumps out there and you're thinking, okay, well, Will Fuller with better hands and stays healthy, that's somebody I would like to have a lot of part of. The thing we know with Alave that changes a little bit is that he has that four-year element. You know, Most people who listen to podcasts like ours know what a big deal the early declare is in terms of what it tells you, whether the player is likely to over or underperform draft position. The only thing I would just say is I do think Olave has a lot of the same types of elements to his profile that we mentioned last year with Devontae Smith, and Blair had a great article on this uh, for Rotoviz, but just some of the reasons why it might be a little bit less relevant for him than for most top prospects. So I just I would throw that out there as a potential caveat, but both Wilson and Olave with the times they put up, I don't think unexpected, especially for Olave, but to see Wilson run like this, very exciting. And then behind, well, actually, I want to mention on Drake London that on Twitter, I saw him do a 540 dunk in a high school basketball slam dunk comp- competition. And so uh, I've decided that he is an elite athlete. So he's your wide receiver one and perhaps yeah, the a one 540, one. Sean. I've never seen an NBA player do that in a dunk contest. Maybe I've missed it. Maybe that's happened. But like he didn't just do a 360. He then turned again. He's like in the air for three days. If he doesn't have the ankle injury last season, then we're potentially looking at one of the greatest college wide receiver seasons in memory. And London will be difficult to pass on at the top of these drafts. Yeah. I mean, if he's big and has that type of. I mean, I don't know how many times NFL receivers need to spin one and a half full times in the air, but there's something about body control related to that. I'm I'm willing to to care about that. Let me just be like I, I'm half joking, half serious right now. Um, but beyond these four, who are sort of the consensus top four, you have Jameson Williams, who if he doesn't tear his ACL in the national championship, would he be in the the mix for the top receiver draft then? I think so. You look at the season that he had there, how big the breakout was. A lot of people think that he would have potentially had the fastest wide receiver time or, you know, threatened the four, three barrier. You put that all together and he's going to be in that group. Right. And so that's another reason why this draft class is interesting and exciting. If you're willing to have some patience and it's not even just like patience to 2023, but just even to the second half of 2022, then perhaps you get the best guy you know, at the 107. Right. And, and I was just going to say, because then you also have George Pickens, who I know you've definitely been intrigued with. He tore his ACL last March, came back just to to play a little bit at the very end of Georgia's season in the college football playoff. Sort of similar situation, right, where he could have been up there. And is another guy who, like, if he rehabs and is healthy, and you have you have Williams, you have him as well, you even can go way deep to, to my guy who – 
may just not be there physically, but was so good as a freshman for Clemson. I mentioned on the show that he had more receiving yards than T. Higgins when he was a true freshman and they played together at Clemson, Justin Ross. But you have these three guys that potentially, had they stayed healthier, would have made this receiver class look just fantastic. And like you just said, maybe you get them as a seventh, eighth, ninth, you know, in Ross's case, maybe 15th receiver in your rookie draft. There's still some elite upside from from like post-injury options here in this class right and you look at some of even in this last season where justin ross scores and his break at the size now ross and and pickens are both interesting prospects in that they're slender but tall so they have this length that's going to give them some kind of covered but open ability a little bit like a mike williams if you're willing to throw it to him as Justin Herbert was last season. I like that, but you also see then, you know, with Ross, this incredible cutting ability to where, you know, he hits the break and comes out of it and suddenly is clear. And not, you know, like a Christian McCaffrey clear, but when you have a player with that in their background, that freshman season that you mentioned and you see him do some good things, with Ross, it purely comes down for me to the health. And so again, that's where having a bunch of second round picks, I think is a fun way to play it because if you can hit on Pickens and Ross and then a Christian Watson, you have multiple chances to have maybe the one player who changes your dynasty roster around your odds. Aren't great. If you just have one of them, but if you have multiple shots, then it starts to get really interesting. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of receivers in this class. It could be interesting because that's where I was going to go next was Christian Watson was the guy who topped your the freak score, which you put up. I mean, maybe you should explain a little bit about the freak score, but that is one of the things that it's looking at size, it's looking at speed, and I believe jumping ability, right? And you found, and and I guess prior to you, Frank, you, you mentioned in, in your piece for this year, um, all the way back to the fancy douche days was, was looking at this, but that, that type of athleticism and size, speed, you know, freak we love to call these guys size speed freaks and that's why it's you know named the freak score that type of athleticism is correlated well with touchdown production at the nfl level which is obviously important a guy that you highlighted as an unheralded or, or overlooked maybe rookie a couple years ago was chase claypool we saw him come right in and score what was it nine touchdowns his rookie year or, or or maybe more so that type of athleticism can translate dk metcalf's another great example of a guy who just had that athleticism and has been able to score touchdowns at a high level christian watson was the guy this year that topped the the group wasn't quite up there with some of the best freak scores of all times but uh, of all time but did top the the 2022 class he did and and you explained it very well there it's height weight speed and this was one of these things where we were doing a lot of different versions of this in the early going including including the megatron score obviously calvin johnson we know comes in at the very top of the freak score and the fantasy dude said you know let's let's do this right let's put out a tool that lets users look through and has one that's properly calibrated for this touchdown scoring element and the cool thing matt spencer who's done a ton of fantastic prospect research for us over the last year is like i'm gonna go in and look at that see how that's held up since frank originally put it together and what he found is like yeah this is cool i mean this is almost right on which i wouldn't have expected you know when you go through another six years and a six years in which the nfl changed quite a bit so we find that this height weight speed indicator does give us touchdowns you and i mentioned from time to time again some of these efficiency numbers are going to be inconsistent but we want guys who have within their range of outcomes this potential to 
do something like go out and score a bunch of touchdowns, right? Because if you have somebody who comes out and has, you know, a 12 touchdown season, a 15 touchdown season, or you have a later round pick who does the eight or nine touchdown season, that makes a big difference for you in your various formats. So it's great for the touchdowns. It's also great for the sleepers to find out who some of these guys might be who have the smaller names and would come through. So Christian Watson, number one, Isaiah Western, an interesting prospect, number two, Alec Pierce, three. He's somebody who is a little bit disappointing from a production profile standpoint, but an athletic receiver there at Cincinnati. You have Vilas Jones Jr., you have Tyquan Thornton, who runs a 4-2-8. Now, he's not the biggest guy or not the heaviest guy at a whole, only 181 pounds. And again, a few little question marks or just you know question marks in terms of the production but you see this group of guys and you can dream about them and so for this group outside of watson we're more looking at okay third round or fourth round picks if you're in deep leagues but if you're in a 30 to 35 roster spot league if you're in a best ball dynasty league where the roster is even a little bit deeper i mean these are names that you really need to know right and so it's cool to have them and you mentioned claypool he scored a 90. To put that in context, Watson is at a 78. Calvin Johnson, obviously, up there at the top. DK Metcalf, 91. Julio Jones, 86. Watson, a little bit more in that range with someone like a Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And you think, okay, well, that guy was a little bit disappointing or not super relevant in terms of NFL fantasy production originally. But he's somebody who's going to get a decent contract here in free agency. You have Alan Lazard, somebody else, who really popped in that same range in the freak score guys who were able to stick there with Green Bay and be part of what Aaron Rodgers was trying to build there as the sort of proxy GM. And so these are these are some guys we need to know. And then with Watson, even beyond that, it's really cool because it wasn't just the height, weight, speed. He comes out and he puts up a 38-inch vertical jump. He's got hands that are over 10 inches. I mean, this is a player who looks like not just an NFL starter, but an NFL star. And then, and this is one of the reasons, again, why having good comps or comps that aren't just picking out the top player can be helpful to keep things in perspective and not get too high. His closest comps in the Combine workout or the Combine Explorer are Denzel Mims, Justin Hunter, Martavis Bryant, and then just below that, Stephen Hill. So there are certainly examples of players in this style or um, bucket, cohort, whatever word you want to use, that have not hit. And I, I mean, I think that's always a really important point that like that's true of every type of cohort. That's one of the reasons I'm not the biggest fan of individual comps. I love how uh, all the root of his tools give you this range of comps, because basically one of the biggest things I've learned is basically any style of player can hit or fail depending on who knows what the the trump card is or what the the element is that will cause them to not be able to translate maybe they're just not athletic enough or whatever but like you mentioned like a keenan allen who's a guy that from an athleticism standpoint and all that didn't look great but had the production profile and for me at the at the nfl level his trump card has been he can just earn targets so well he's just that good of a route runner he's been a top five route runner his entire career and so if you're that good at that part of it it doesn't matter that you don't get huge air yards it doesn't matter that you're not a freak athlete but if you don't have that good of a you know a targets per out run element to your game, the rest of his profile maybe doesn't look great. And so that you know, like in terms of comping to to him, it's like, well, you, you, the guy better be elite as a route runner essentially. And and you have that with every type of receiver. Christian Watson, an interesting one. You mentioned to me just before the show, 
was also though a fifth year senior not an early declare or anything a little bit of an older prospect comes from north dakota state not even necessarily massive production from a small school and so you know everything you just said sounded incredibly optimistic but you were also letting me know prior to the show um that's in in relation to the fact that there are some some concerns as well but definitely an intriguing player and then there's a couple other receivers that we definitely have to talk about before we get off this show that are sort of the more rotoviz mold players guys that were three-year guys very productive productive early had breakout seasons but they had two different combines and i don't know if these are two good guys to pair together but i'm pairing them in my mind sean so you can correct me if this is not necessarily right but sky Moore is one sky Moore goes out and runs incredibly fast for a guy who looks like he's in this keenan allen mold as a route runner and these types of things but now he has four four speed on top of that that's really interesting and his hands measure huge which you mentioned just a minute ago with watson and blair andrews has done great work to show that that's important at the really large like on the tails when the, when the guys have huge hands it's probably an element to why sky Moore's production was so good that this guy can just bring in basically any type of pass and so he's got the route running ability maybe not huge size or anything but he's smooth he's got straight line speed and he's got these huge hands and then david bell is the other one who three-year player very productive at purdue unfortunately tests pretty poorly in a way that I think transcended almost all the different events didn't run particularly fast and also didn't show anything else in other spots. I mean, for me, it's not really necessarily disqualifying because we have seen guys test this poorly, but with this type of production profile still go on to be really good. But there's that issue of how are the NFL uh, decision makers going to view it? As you've talked about with some of the other conversations we've had, is he going to fall? I'm, I'm looking at grinding the mocks right now. He's looking like wide receiver 13. Does he go, late enough into day three that he never really gets an opportunity and and even if he did get an opportunity is that athleticism potentially disqualifying yeah so you mentioned more and he's one of the big risers and somebody that everybody seems very excited about right now and justifiably so for those reasons you mentioned i know that you guys guys also have a lot of shares of him already for your ship chasing team so that's really really cool bell on the other side of that exactly as you describe it, it really now for me is this question of how does the NFL perceive him? You could tell from where he's mocked. And a lot of these top mocks obviously come from analysts who have inroads in with the NFL. They know what the the scuttlebutt is and, and they're reflecting that. So even before the combine, there was skepticism about how he would run. And there was skepticism about how the NFL would view him as a result of that the thing i liked about bell's combine and you have to really you know try and put a positive spin on this but he measures at 212 and that puts him in this larger receiver group that we really are in a different bucket than these smaller players the 180s the 190s you know the 200s and you had mentioned that almost all of the players regardless of profiles you're going to have some positives you're going to have some negatives and that's sort of entertaining when you think about bell and you're like well these guys are just are not nfl athletes and then you go in and look and in some ways his comps are better than garrett wilson's and chris olavis because the names that jump out for you there are jarvis landry and anquan bolden and if you told someone that you could get jarvis landry or anquan bolden's first three years production the fact that this guy ran poorly at the combine you would not care at all 
Detroit because those guys came out and were absolute stars. The other name that, I, that really kind of jumps out to me because there were some similarities in terms of just how dominant they were in college and then how destructive their combine was perceived to be was Keenan Allen, right? I mean, here's a guy who goes to Cal, pushes Marvin Jones aside. It's clear that he and Marvin Jones are in two completely different categories in terms of how good they are. And then he doesn't look like an NFL athlete at the combine. And all of a sudden he goes from being somebody who looked like a potential top 10 pick in the NFL draft to someone where you wonder how far he's going to fall. Now, my question with Bell is just how far is he going to fall? Because when you look at all of these athletic wide receivers, the upside that that hints at and how kind of fun that is on your NFL GM and you're thinking, well, you know, can I afford to use a pick on Bell and accept the criticism that comes with that if he busts? Right? But the flip side of it is also true. I mean, all you have to do is go back to Andy Isabella, Nicole Hardman, and you're like, running a 4-3-40 doesn't solve all of your issues. You know, you need to be a good football player. And so when you think of Keenan Allen, Jarvis Lane, or Anquan Bolden as being legitimate comps for a David Bell with how dynamic he was, I mean, this is probably the best collegiate wide receiver in this entire class. And so, you know, if he goes in the first 100 picks, then he again is in that group where you can get a good mix with your second round rookie picks to where you have some injured guys, you have some fast guys, you have some old big fast guys, and then you have some elite producers who slipped in the NFL draft. And you're hoping that by kind of balancing that element of the portfolio, you're going to get exposure to some hits. But if Bell had even just been decent or bad at the combine, I think he would be absolutely fine. The fact of the matter is that it was a pretty big disaster. As you were saying that, how far is he going to fall? I was having flashbacks to Seth Williams last year. Um, you know, three-year guy, very productive in college. Isaiah Hodgins a few years ago was really excited about three-year guy, very productive in college, multiple breakout seasons. Went like the sixth round, I, I think, to the Bills. Has not really gotten onto an NFL field. This type of player, if they don't get the draft capital, may just never get an NFL opportunity. Yeah, and I think that you know you do see a few of these guys work their way back through, but it's going to be a long road if you get drafted deep into day three. And you think of someone like a, a Lazard, for example, who was productive at Iowa State, big, extremely athletic. The NFL wasn't interested in him and he made it, but it's a journey at that point. It's a real battle. You're not going to be going out there in most cases and putting up elite fantasy points right away. The fact that Stefan Diggs was able to check so many boxes, get drafted late and come through again, it's a testament to just how good he was just an absolute star right from the beginning. But again, that's somebody who Diggs didn't blow away the combine, but he was in a different category than David Bell. Yeah, definitely. So that is definitely a red flag. There's a few more names that I've certainly heard a lot about. I, I'm curious if there's any others that, that you thought there were some interesting stuff from the combine that we should discuss, or maybe some tight ends we should hit on. I mean, I'm looking at like Jahan Dotson. I'm looking at Wandell Robinson. Um, John Mechie also has the ACL tear, another Alabama receiver. But, you know, if he's someone to discuss, I know Jalen Tolbert is a name that's been mentioned several times. And you even had some, you know, some older prospects that ran particularly fast. And I think it's Velas Jones or Velas Jones was one that came up, but he's probably too old for us to be super interested in him. 
Do any of those names, do you have any like strong takes on any of those names at this point? Well, Wandale had a, a solid combine and he's somebody who has that Rondale Moore-ish hybrid ability. You like him with the ball in his hands. Obviously he spent time at running back in college. He has the very good final season. The problem for him is just that he probably needs to be even more athletic with the size that he brings to the table otherwise and some questions about you know how he would be used the buzz for him then also isn't there and so you're wondering where he's going to be selected in the nfl draft you had mentioned jalen tolbert he's somebody else who has the good production i mean he's kind of that second guy with sky Moore in terms of a, a small school wide receiver who was very productive and uh, a very sort of big name within context in the NFL draft community until recently where, you know, Moore has really just sapped so much of the, the air out of the room for talking about some of these other guys with what he is doing. But Tolbert, somebody else who had a very solid combine, I think solidifies himself as an NFL talent. You know, we mentioned the big hands earlier for a couple of those guys. He also comes in in that category so those guys are kind of fun in terms of someone who maybe has some other red flags but had this astonishing combine you have calvin austin a smaller wide receiver there from memphis you know in that 170 pound range but he runs the 4-3-240 and when you start to get into the low four threes you're talking about players who on any given play can really run away from the defense and are going to stress your defense so from a reality perspective also pretty interesting and then he combines that with a 39 inch vertical so not just a small fast guy but someone with a lot of explosion as well other other names yeah to make this class deeper interesting people to keep track of as we go through this process it sounds like it's just as good of a class as any other class but maybe we don't i mean we don't have the jamar chase at the top we don't necessarily have the elite top end but we've heard for so long that 2022's class is not that great nobody wanted to trade People were trying to trade, you know, a, a random first in 2022 for a, a 2023 first. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, how we would take that. We would take the early information and come up and expect that. And, and now it's like we're already there where, I mean, even like in the second rounds, like you said, the second, third round picks, this class could be as deep as any class. It could be. And and I think that there is more excitement now at the very, at the very top. There's more excitement in sort of the late second and the third the question will be you know do people have names that they like enough to pay for in that say 6 to 15 range and is everybody going to be trying to move down and not really be able to do it but i do think that after we have the actual nfl draft and you see where people go and players who go in the first round are going to rise a little bit more players who go into good situations, whether that's actually having a pretty clear runway at running back, or if you're talking about some of these interesting deep third down backs, if they go into a situation where the starter you know, is not going to catch the passes, then those guys are going to rise. But the receivers who hit in the good quarterback situations, and one thing that Zachary Kruger has mentioned on some of our best ball shows recently, is that there are actually a pretty decent number of spots for rookie receivers to hit quality qbs and we know that, that can be especially helpful for these players who are a little bit less experienced and then you think about guys who maybe are extremely athletic but had some production questions in college if i'm looking at that and i'm an nfl gm i'm going to be a lot more confident that maybe i can make that player work 
if I have a Patrick Mahomes, then, you know, if I'm working with a Zach Wilson, you're talking about trying to add a Christian Watson to your team. For example, you're thinking, well, Mahomes is someone who can do it. Now, McCall Hardman hasn't exactly thrived there. So again, it's going to come down to the combination of skill and talent with those wide receivers. But I think we'll see more risers. And then that second half of the first round is going to look better. The flip side of that is that we've had some drafts. And I think that one of the drafts that, you know, I think back to from time to time is this draft where you have Nelson Aguilar as a first round pick in the reality draft. He's a first round pick in rookie drafts. You know, some of those picks in that draft didn't really pay off. And so if you traded into that draft, you know, you're, you're pretty frustrated. You're thinking I wasn't able to reload my team there. And yet plenty of reasons for optimism. And I think again, this sort of humility based approach or just this approach where we understand that we can't predict the future and we want to take advantage of the wide range of outcomes. This is a great draft to do it. in. I'm excited. I mean, I, you mentioned the NFL draft will be a huge additional data point. And that is something that, you know, we, we should close by emphasizing that the draft capital is just so, so important at every position and in every way, because that's what drives opportunity and opportunity is going to be a huge you know, predictor of, of statistical success, right? Um, we're, we're talking about these profiles, as you mentioned just a few minutes ago, in relation to draft capital, typically, which guys can overperform or underperform their draft capital, but draft capital is the anchor. And so when we get that, and especially, like you said, with some of the landing spot elements, we don't want to overvalue landing spot, but there's certainly parts to it, like with the receivers, the quarterback they're playing with, is going to be very important, as, as you just detailed. That's going to be the huge final piece of the puzzle, but it should, like you were saying, start to give us even clearer of a picture, especially like in that six to 15 range, it looks a little cloudy right now. Things are going to clear up. It's going to be fun. The draft's going to be fun this year. Cause we've got a lot of guys. It'll be fun to see who hits what type of draft capital and where they land. I'm like, I'm, I'm pumped for the draft. We still got to wait another month and a half, but I'm, I'm excited for it. It is going to be hard to wait. As you mentioned, we do have free agency there in between. That will change a lot of things too. We'll do some best ball drafts here. So there'll be things that to carry us across, but I, I can't wait. And yeah, this 2022 draft, I think that there are going to be opportunities to pick these guys, play these guys, and then trade. I think some of them are going to be good enough. You'll be able to trade them for quality picks in the 2023 draft when that draft rolls around and you will have been able to play those guys in 2022. So that's still a little bit what we're looking at there. If you can, if you have extra assets, don't hesitate to build more in the 2023, but make sure you have a quality ask. I mean, right now, this sort of one-to-one trade value of 2022 for 2023, I think you're going to be able to get more than that. You should ask for more than that, at least to start the bidding on those trades in the first place. Make, make sure you're getting good value if you trade out of 2022. Then that'll do it for today. Another fun episode of Stealing Bananas. Anytime that you get workout numbers for prospects, at just one of the most exciting times. We feel like we know these guys now, which obviously we don't. But you put that with the production, start to dream, NFL draft, can't get close enough. I'm Sean Siegel. With me as always is Ben Gretsch. You can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. Make sure you subscribe to Stealing Signals, the best fantasy football newsletter in the industry. We'd love to have you at Rotoviz. You can get a 10% discount on the subscription by using the coupon code RBRadio2022 at checkout. Please subscribe to our feed. You'll get our shows as soon as they come out that way. Drop us a rating and review. That really helps with the algorithm. 
We appreciate you guys so much. We'll talk to you soon. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.